Well, last week as we continued our series, Just Okay and Why It's Not Okay, we talked about generosity. And specifically, we talked about the potential for our willingness to display godly generosity to the people in our lives, the potential for that to point them to God, to play a role in potentially leading them toward a relationship with Jesus, that our willingness to simply be generous could open up a door, could open up a heart, could start a conversation with someone who doesn't yet have a relationship with Jesus. And because of that potential, even if we never see the fruit, even if we never see the results of that generosity, it's still worth it because God can go to work in our generosity. And so that means when it comes to generosity, just okay is never going to be okay. Just like the week prior, we concluded that when it comes to personal spiritual growth, just okay is not okay. And today we're going to kind of branch off of the idea of generosity and talk about service. And what service really is, is being generous with our time and our energy for the sake of others. For the purposes of this message, when I talk about service, I'm talking about work you do, time you spend for the sake of another person or a group of people, or an organization, or your community for which you don't get paid. When I think of service, I often think back to times in my life when it was mandatory. Maybe you've had stretches like this. I know in college we had a responsibility to accumulate a certain number of service hours each semester in order to, at the end of four years, be able to graduate on time. But my favorite instance of required uh, service hours was back in middle school. We had an opportunity uh, when I was in eighth grade to complete a service project. And everyone had to do one, but based on how much time it took you and how much you put into it and how it turned out, you could earn up to a full letter grade increase in the class of your choice. Now, that was pretty cool. So you could pick the class that you struggled with most with, and if you did well enough, they would give you a full letter grade increase for the year. Not for the grading period, for the year. And so this was a big deal. And so uh, I began to think about what I wanted to do, and of course people were coming up with pretty standard ideas, and I wanted to think outside the box a little bit, and it's possible that some of you have heard this story before because I love this story, but that doesn't mean I don't want to talk about it again. And so I decided to start a band, and you may wonder how a band could be a service project. Well, at the time, my great-grandmother was in a nursing home near my hometown, and we decided we were going to form a band to play a show at the nursing home for the residents there. And uh, I wasn't really sure how it would work out, but it seemed like a good idea. And I had a couple friends that were on board. They thought, that sounds like fun. And so we called the nursing home, and you would be surprised how quickly they said yes to this idea. They They didn't know what we were or who we were. We could have been a heavy metal band for all they knew. And they were like, yes, come entertain the residents. Like, we'd love to have you. And so we put a band together, and we practiced a lot, and we did a lot of songs from the 50s and 60s, not realizing that in a lot of cases, those weren't nearly uh, classic enough. Um, But when we were scheduling the concert, they asked us what our name was. They said, what's the name of the band? We want to be able to advertise it. And we weren't really sure, so we gave it some thought, and being the funny guys that we were, someone came up with calling ourselves Bingo at Five, so that even if people didn't want to hear a concert, they might misunderstand and think that they were coming to play bingo and then decide to stay and listen anyway. That being said, the concert was at 2 o'clock, so I hope nobody showed up at 5 expecting to play bingo. But we went and we set up and we played the show, and honestly, it was one of the most fun things I've ever done. And we finished our set, and they insisted that we keep playing. We didn't know any other songs. And so we played the same 12 or so songs over again, and they loved it just as much, if not more. It was so much fun, and I look back on that experience so fondly today 
because it was just, it was just a, a fantastic day. We got my grandfather up to sing You Are My Sunshine with us, dedicated to his mother, uh, his great, my, my great-grandmother who was there in the, in the home. And I got so much out of that experience beyond the, the grade I got. And somebody did ask me, did you get the full letter grade? Yes, I got the full letter grade. No, I don't remember what class I applied it to. But I got so much more out of it than that. And none of what I got was with any real compensation. There was no payment to us, and yet we felt that we had received so much more than we had given. That's how it's supposed to be to serve other people. Sometimes service gets a bad reputation because we think, well, I only have so many hours in the day, and if I give too many of them away for nothing, I won't have any left, and I won't be able to do the things I need to do. And I get that. I've had that same thought process. But the truth is, that's a skewed view. That's a messed up view of what service is supposed to be. Because if we say that service is giving something for nothing in return, that's a terrible definition of service. That's a selfish definition of service. Because there's so much more to it. It's giving something for the sake of someone else. It's, it's giving something of value like our time or our energy and getting something of different value in return like a sense of purpose or a sense of accomplishment or appreciation or feeling that you've contributed to something greater than yourself knowing someone's need has been met, knowing your neighborhood or your community is a better place, knowing your church is more equipped to reach the lost, and I could go on and on. Because the list of what we end up receiving from our service ends up being a whole lot longer than the list of what we have to give up to do so, to serve. And yet, so many of us hesitate to serve. And there are certainly reasons for that. Uh, First of all, serving takes time. And it doesn't matter what kind of service it is, who you're serving or where you're serving, it's going to take you some time. And just like we talked about last week, that our busyness causes us to miss seeing opportunities to be generous, our busyness also has a way of decreasing our willingness to serve. Because there really are things that we have to do, and ultimately serving others is a choice. And so when push comes to shove, and something has to be put on the back burner, or put off for some time later... For a lot of us, it's things like serving that we shift. And we say, well, that's going to have to wait. The second reason is serving takes energy. This goes right along with time. There, there's just, just like there are only so many hours in a day, there's only so much energy in us. And there's only so much coffee we can drink. And some of you might say you accept that challenge. You'll prove to me that there is no only, not only so much coffee we can drink. I understand that. But even the strongest coffee can't stop us from eventually running low on energy. And the truth is, in today's world, a lot of us are running on consistently low amount of energy as it is. And so if I'm going to expend extra energy, it better be for something fun or something really important. And sometimes we don't put serving in either of those categories. And then the third reason, serving takes commitment, which goes right along with the other two because a significant number of us are just as overcommitted as we are busy and tired. We've said yes to too many things. Some we didn't have a choice in, some we did. But they've filled up our schedule and we're overcommitted. And if I'm going to serve others more, it's going to take a level of commitment I just don't have left in me to actually do that. I don't think I can handle one more commitment. Here, here's the thing about those three reasons. They are honestly legitimate reasons on the surface. So if any of those reasons have contributed to you deciding that when it comes to serving just okay is going to have to be okay. I get that. And I don't want you to feel like I'm, I'm attacking you or talking down to you today. But I do want to challenge you today. And I want to challenge myself too. 
Because when it comes to those reasons, not enough energy, not enough time, too many commitments, what I think is true for most of us is that if something truly important came along, I mean really important, came up, we would find the time, and we would find the energy, and we would make room for another commitment. Even if it meant giving up something else, even if it meant changing our priorities, even if it was a total change in our schedule, I think we would do it if it was something truly important. We would do what it took to make room for it, or even to make it a priority. And what we need to understand today is that from a heavenly, godly perspective, serving others is truly important. It should be a priority. It's foundational to what God has called us to do, and it's an essential key to who God has called us to be. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people who serve others, and we don't always get that extremely well. And so to understand a little bit better the basis for that, that we are in fact called to serve, that the willingness to serve others is supposed to be part of who we are at Jesus Followers, I want to look today at Jesus. Specifically at two specific passages of, of Scripture. One where Jesus tells His disciples that they're to serve others. And one where He shows them. First in Mark chapter 10. It's important that we notice that sometimes the disciples don't say or do the right thing all the time. Um, As Jesus' closest friends, as they followed him, they were learning and they were growing. The moment that he called them to follow, they didn't become perfect Jesus followers. And the same goes for us. The moment we begin to follow Jesus is not a moment of completion, but the start of a journey of growth. And so as you read through the Gospels, these four books that record the life of Jesus, you see these disciples screw up and say the wrong thing quite a few times. And in the particular instance that we're going to talk for a moment about today, two of Jesus' closer disciples, James and John, they kind of pull Jesus aside and ask him if when he takes his throne, they could sit next to him. Now that's a gutsy thing to ask somebody. To say, you know what, when you take your throne, we believe you're going to be the king. And so when you take your throne, can we sit by you? Those are positions of honor. Those are important seats. Anyone would want them, but to ask for them, to step aside from the other 12 disciples and say, hey, there's only two, you and me, let's go ask. It's kind of like when there's one cookie left and I have four kids. They think whoever asks first should get the cookie. I think daddy gets the cookie in that particular (laughs) situation. It's the only fair way to deal with it. But James and John, they pull Jesus aside and they say, two chairs, one for each of us, can we sit beside you? In your kingdom. I mean, credit to them for having the guts to ask, I guess. But Jesus responds to them by referencing his coming suffering. He says, listen, you guys want to be that close. Are you prepared to walk through the suffering that I'm going to walk through? Are you prepared to to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? And he he explains to them, ultimately, God is the one who's going to decide who sits to his right and his left. That that's up to God. Which was probably pretty disappointing to James and John. What Jesus was really telling them, or starting to tell them, what it truly looks like to follow him. That it wasn't about position or importance. So when the other disciples, you know, they hear what James and John asked for, they get mad, probably because they were jealous they didn't think of it first. Or probably because there weren't ten other seats to the right and left of Jesus. And so Jesus has dealt with the two, so now he deals with them all. And Jesus responds in verse 41 of Mark chapter 10. 
When the other ten disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what Jesus tells his closest followers here is that if they want the greatest honor in what is to come, they need to do what he considered most honorable now, which is to serve others. To do the menial tasks, the hard work, the difficult jobs, and to do so for the sake of others. And that way of living, that posture, would have seemed counterproductive to a lot of people. It really seems counterproductive to us. It seems like the opposite of what these disciples would want. And so Jesus answers that very simply by pointing out that he, their leader, their teacher, their rabbi, that he came to do just that, that he came to serve even unto death. And see, that's something I love about Jesus' teaching because he could convince a lot of people with his words alone. There's no doubt about that. But when he called his followers to something, you can count on the fact that he held himself to that same standard, if not a higher one. Here's what I hear Jesus saying here. You need to serve others. And I'll show you how that's done by dying for everyone. You may have excuses and reasons you can't serve one another, but let me show you that no excuse really is going to count because I'm going to show you what true service looks like by laying down my life. If the one who called us to serve gave up his life in the greatest act of service that could ever be done for our benefit, who are we to resist that same calling on our lives? Now I get it. Service isn't flashy. Service doesn't always result in credit or benefits that are seen as positive in this life. Service isn't always fun. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes it's painful. But it's what we're called to do. We're called to serve others. It's who we're called to be. And the eternal benefits are worth the energy and time commitment while we're here on this earth. And so as the time for Jesus to actually do what he said he was going to do, to give up his life as a ransom for many, as that time came close, the Gospel of John records this amazing story of serving. John writes in chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. You see, for some time, Jesus had been telling his disciples, sometimes more specifically and obviously than others, that he was going to to leave this world that a time was coming that he would leave it, that he would be, in fact, killed and buried, but would rise again. But his disciples struggled to believe that that was really the case because they had seen Jesus do so much. They believed that, that he was the Savior, the Messiah, the King. It just didn't make sense that this could happen. But now the time was close, and Jesus is running out of these moments with his disciples, and he knows that. And so he begins what some biblical scholars have referred to as an active parable of the Lord's humiliation unto death. Basically, what Jesus was about to do was something that no one would ever expect him to do, but instead is the kind of humbling act that a lowly servant would carry out. 
And it would be the thing that would foreshadow what Jesus was then going to do, going to the cross. The ultimate humiliation and act of humility. And so even though the disciples would never expect Jesus to do this, here's what we read happens, beginning in verse 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Jesus took the posture of a servant. He removed his outer garment, he prepared a towel, things a servant would have done, and he began one by one to wash their feet. Feet that I promise you were not already clean because they walked on dirt paths. And even if the body was clean, the feet inevitably got dirty. Even if you washed and dressed, prepared for the finest meal, getting to that meal meant that you got there with dirty feet. Anybody hate feet? There's, always, there's somebody in every service. Somebody got hate feet. Some of you are uncomfortable just by me talking about these verses. I get that. When I was in college, I remember we had a special service that involved washing each other's feet as part of the service. Now, I participated, but it was not easy. There probably aren't a lot of things more humbling. There aren't a lot of ways to serve that are more humbling than washing someone's feet. And so for Jesus, their master, their teacher, the one they believed was the Messiah, for him to stoop down and to wash their feet, it was hard to understand for them. Because they had never seen that kind of service, that kind of humility. And Peter, he struggled to get it. Peter had trouble with these these kinds of moments. Verse 6, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter explained, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Peter, at first, he wasn't willing to accept Jesus taking this servant's posture and washing his feet. And then when he does understand, when he understands that this is necessary, he takes it to the other extreme and he kind of makes it about himself. He's like, I know you're washing everybody else's feet, but wash my head and my hands too. Might as well just just do it all. And Jesus is patient with him as he always is. And, And Jesus even references Judas there as the one who is not clean. But note, Jesus, even though Judas was about to betray him and he knew it, Jesus still washes all of the disciples' feet, Judas included. Jesus didn't limit his service to those who deserved it, and he wouldn't limit who he died for either. He was showing them what truly serving others looked like. Verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So Jesus lays it out for them. He says, as you remain in this world, do what I have done. Be the servant that I have been. Do for others first. Serve until it hurts and then keep on serving. And I love the way he said, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. 
Because for me, that's where it comes back to us. Because just as they were his messengers, so we today remain his messengers. And we are not more important than the one who sends. We're not more important than the one who sends the message we have to bring, which means we need to serve as the one who sent us the message. As the one who is our message, we need to serve as he served. And I can tell you what, I've served, but not to the level of foot washing, not with that kind of humility, not with that kind of sacrifice, and yet that's the kind of service we've been called to do unto one another. We've been called to serve as Jesus has served, which means we've been called to serve with our lives. And I think most of us have been a lot closer to just okay when it comes to our service than we have been to truly serving with our lives. We need to fix that. We need to lean back the other way and look more like Jesus. I love the challenge to service that Peter issues as recorded in 1 Peter chapter 4. And it begins with this very important idea that life is not going to last forever, that we have limited time in this life to do what God has called us to do. Here's what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. See, this passage speaks to so much of what we've been talking about in this series, that there are specific things we've been called to do if we're going to follow Jesus. And life is short, so we better take advantage of the time that we have and make the most of it. And Peter mentions prayer and love for one another and hospitality and generosity, all things we've been talking about here. And he says we're to use the gifts God has given us for the purpose of serving that that's why we've been given the gifts in the first place, to serve others. So are we? Are we? Are we serving others with the strength and the energy and the gifts and the talents and the skills and the passions that God has give us, given us? Is that a key part of who we are, or is it something we just do sometimes? This is a very personal thing for you to consider, and I want you to do so. I'm going to do the same, but I can't measure your service for you and tell you whether it's enough. Because I think if I could, we'd really end up just striving for just okay again, and we'd say, well, i got to get to this level. I think the better thing each of us can do is ask God, how would you have me serve? And I believe if we make that offer to God, how would you have me serve? We tell God, I'll serve however you call me to serve. We'll begin to see that he has opportunities in front of us every single day already. Opportunities to serve our fellow man, our communities and beyond. And I believe if we adopt that posture where we are ready to serve, then we'll be able to respond more quickly and more willingly when we encounter those opportunities to serve our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our church, our community, our country, and even our world. Because if Jesus who died for us, if he took the position of a servant, a slave, and washed his disciples' feet, and if he told them to be willing to do the same, I believe he calls us to that same posture. 
And so the question becomes every day, really every moment, what can I do to serve someone in the name of Jesus? Every day, every moment, when you wake up in the morning, what can I do to serve someone in the name of Jesus at work? What can I do to serve someone in the name of Jesus at whatever restaurant you go to for lunch today? What can I do to serve someone in the name of Jesus when you're in a good mood? What can I do to serve someone in the name of Jesus when you're in a bad mood? What can I do to serve someone in the name of Jesus? There will almost always, I really believe always, be something that you can do to serve someone in the name of Jesus. The problem is we don't always keep our eyes open enough to see that, and we're pretty good at ignoring the opportunities God puts in front of us. And so we have to decide that I'm going to ask the question and respond when it's answered. I got a lot of positive feedback last week from putting those four lines in your sermon outline where I asked you to write down practical ways to be generous. And I I appreciate everybody that, that followed through to, to write in some things, and I hope that you followed through even with what you wrote down and actually did some of those things to be generous to the people in your life. And as a side note, if there are any cool stories that came out of that, I'd love to hear them. Uh, not so I can brag on you, but so that we can brag on God together, because God really can work through our generosity. He does work through our generosity. I heard a great story already today, but I'd love to hear some more. But I wanted to give you something tangible again, something more concrete this week again, to give you the opportunity to act immediately, this very week. And so on the back of your insert are some very simple ways that you can serve your community, serve here at New Life, serve organizations in our area, serve missions both here and overseas. I want you to take that with you and take a look at that list. And if something jumps out, act on it. And this is just a small portion of what you could actually do. I mean, you look at the simple things on there. In your neighborhood, be the neighbor who offers to mow or weedy or rake leaves or plow snow when somebody doesn't have time to do it. Or better yet, be that person who doesn't when they're not home, so when they come home, it's like, what just happened? And their yard's taken care of. I mean, don't trespass, but you know, you know whether you should be allowed to do that or not. Be the neighbor that's willing to house sit, pet sit, babysit. That kind of stuff means the world to people. In the community... I've got some specific things in here. Serve at the Gore Volunteer Fire and Rescue Yard Party Fundraiser. we got some folks that serve with them and serve in different areas, uh, those essential services around the area that are so vital to life, and they do so much good for our community. This is an opportunity we have to give back to them. They've got, this is their biggest fundraiser of the year. It's something they, they derive a, a whole chunk of their budget from, and they could really use some more help August 16th and 17th with games and food and bounce house supervisions and parking cars. And even if all you can do is walk around and wipe off tables, that'd be a huge help to what they're trying to accomplish through that event. And so the information there to contact Michaela Raines, I would take advantage of that and say, you know what, I've got a couple hours. I've got an hour each day. Whatever it is, they could use your help. If you can only come up with one hour a week that you might be able to spare to serve, serve as a mentor at the Kids Club at the Northern Shenandoah Valley. You can do homework help, read with them, just be a positive influence. So many kids in our community don't have positive influences, don't have adults who they can count on. Be an adult that they can count on. You can go for an hour a week and make a huge difference in their life. We can connect you with any any other number of organizations as well. You want to serve here, stop by the link and see how you can serve. There are ministry team contacts back there. Or stop by the church anytime and pull some weeds. Trim some hedges, clean up fallen branches. I'm not going to stop you, okay? 
If I step out of my office and you're pulling weeds, oh, no, wait a second, I'm going to do that later. So you know I'm not going to do that, okay? Don't, don't be afraid to do stuff like that. Jump in and serve. Beyond that, join a prayer team for a missionary or even begin to support a missionary financially. You can be heavily involved in their, what they're doing from this distance. And that's a way to serve them in the name of Jesus. And then at the bottom, I wanted to offer this on behalf of myself and the other staff pastors. If you're one of those people who gets to the point where you say, I know I'm supposed to serve, I'd like to serve, I know that Jesus is my example in service and I want to serve like he did, but I've just never been able to figure out what that looks like for me. I've never been able to figure out how my schedule and my skills fit together to serve God. We want to make you this offer. We'd like to help. And so our commitment to you is that if you want to serve but can't seem to figure out how or where, our emails are there at the bottom, shoot us a note and we'll set up a time to sit down with you and talk. And we're not going to grill you or anything, but we'll figure out some of your passions and talents and experiences and figure out how they might cross over with something you could do in the community or here at the church for God. You never know what we'll come up with. You know, we, we may send you on a mission trip to Africa. You never know. I don't want to freak anybody out, but that could, you know, maybe that's what you're cut out for. But we'd love to sit down and chat with you and say, here's how your talents and passions line up. Here's something you could do for God in our community or here in New Life. Don't be afraid to do that if that's something you're interested in. But the bottom line here is if we understand that we are called to serve others, then we need to go and do that. We spend way too much time understanding what we're supposed to do and failing to follow through. We spend a significant amount of our lives knowing the right thing and stopping short of it. The truth is, if we understand we're called to serve, we need to go and to serve others. Not when we have more time, not when we have more energy, not once the kids have gone off to college, not once we're retired, but now. Because serving others expresses God's love to people. And life is short, and too many of those people have never experienced His love. Too many people in our lives have never met Jesus, and through our service, they could. Because when we serve in His name, we point people to Him. We have an opportunity to show people God and the love of Jesus through the way that we serve them in his name. It's what we've been called to do. It's what we need to do every single day of our lives, every moment. What can I do to serve others in the name of Jesus? Let's pray. God, I pray that we would never get too comfortable that we would constantly be willing to challenge ourselves and to take on challenges. And God, for a lot of us, when it comes to service, we've allowed just okay to be okay, and so I pray that that would stop today. That based on our understanding of what you did for us through Jesus Christ, his example to us is the ultimate sacrifice, and the way that he served us with his very life, that that would drive us to serve others with that same amount of humility, with that same level of sacrifice. God, if we could give up whatever we have for the sake of someone else, I pray that that's what we would do. God, I pray that as we go about serving one another, that it would point people to you. God, help this to be a, a window into their life and, and a window for them into who you are. Then I come to know that there's a God who loves them. He sent a Savior to die for them. Help us to be uh, play the small part we have in that as well as we can by constantly seeking opportunities to serve the people around us. 
God, give us the drive for that. Give us the kick we need, the confidence we need to go out and do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.